Alright guys, glad to have you here today at World of Wally, uh, Season 2, Going Strong. Uh, just want to give you a quick heads up on our guest today. His name is Mr. Neil Perry Gordon. He is a popular novelist with four published works, as well as an accomplished public speaker. He's presented hundreds of live programs, radio shows, seminars, and webinars. His ease of engaging conversation delivers an informative and entertaining experience. His creative writing methods and inspiration have been described as organic, meaning that he works with a general storyline for his characters and plot rather than with a formal detailed outline. This encourages his writing to offer surprising twists and unexpected outcomes, which readers have celebrated. His novels also have the attributes of being driven by an equal balance between character development and fast-paced action scenes which moves the stories along at a swift page-turning pace. Now, he started in 2018 with his first novel, but he is ready for 2020 now. With um, He explores the historical fiction genre with two new novels, The Bomb Squad, which is his newest one that's out right now. And then <clears throat> when this episode airs, he will also be pretty close to having out his newest one called Hope City. Hope City is the first in a series chronicling the 1898 Alaskan adventures of his protagonist, a guy named Perry Hope, while the Bomb Squad tells the World War I story of Max Rothman, an American patriot, protecting the homeland from the German spy, Dr. Harold Schwartz. The author that we're going to talk to today has attributed his love for the creative process from his formative years spent learning to learn at the Green Meadow Waldorf School. So guys, after the break, we're gonna get a chance to meet Neil Perry Gordon and hear about some of his works that he has to date. So after the break, guys, we'll be right back. Hey guys, this is William here at World of Wally. Just wanna talk about a partner that we picked up for season two. It's FNX Fit. They are a nutrition and supplement company uh, everything that they produce is made in the USA. So we are made in the USA proud here at World of Wally. So we wanted to partner with these guys. You will be able to go to the link that will be in the episode description. Um, it's fnx.grsm.io front slash World of Wally. And you'll be able to use this discount code FNX7DFQ at checkout. And by doing that, and by using that exclusive link, you're going to receive 15% off your purchase. And you can reuse that link and that code to get that deal every time you visit the site. And remember, guys, World of Wally appreciates their listeners, appreciates their fans, appreciates their followers and their subscribers. And that's why we partnered with these guys, because they have the same outlook that we do. It's all about helping people. All right, guys, we're back from the break, and as promised, my guest today, Mr. Neil Perry Gordon. Um, Mr. Gordon, he achieved his personal goal as an author in the historical fiction uh, genre with his first novel, A Cobbler's Tale. It was published back in 2018, the fall of 2018. He got uh, over 54 and five-star reviews praising the story and his writing style. Then he released his second novel, Moonflower, the following year in fall of 2019. It is a meta 
metaphysical fiction sequel to A Cobbler's Tale, The Righteous One. Now, Neil, how are you doing today? I am doing well, thank you. That is, fan, you? That is fantastic. Now, a lot of my listeners have probably never heard of Neil Perry Gordon. <laughs> sure. So, tell us a little bit about Neil Perry Gordon, kind of your start, uh, you know, where the passion for writing came from, you know, things like that. How, how did you get to the point you're at now? Well, I've always had a passion for storytelling, um, be it in my business that I've run for over 35 years. I, I, I always think that the best way to communicate uh, what I do to somebody else is through the, the, uh, the, the way of telling a story. I mean, that's how humans commu- have communicated uh, for millennials of years. So uh, I love the concept of, uh, of storytelling, and I've always admired people who could tell a story. Um, so that, to me, was always very attractive. Um, when I first did, when I, for my first book, A Cobbler's Tale, that was my first venture into writing fiction. Before that, I was writing nonfiction. I, I had two business books that I published, uh, one called The Designer's Coach and the other one called An Architect's Guide to Engineer Shading Solutions. Um, so I was trying to turn what I did into, into telling stories to making connections to my, to my base, to my customer base, to my market. And then I wanted to, I've always had a, a, a need for a creative outlet for, for all these many decades that I've been in my own business. Um, my creative outlet was my business itself. Uh, and then I, I wanted something a little more free, a little bit more uh, of what a, a true artist is, um, is just to create just for the, for the sake of creation. And that's what drew me to the, uh, the, the, the idea of fiction writing. Um, and historical fiction has always been my preferred genre. I like historical fiction because it gives you, it gives you a purpose in the reading a book of also learning history at the same time, which is exciting because then you could talk about what you read to people, um, you know, and, and put it into historic uh, con- uh, uh, concepts um, and, and also provides for um, good learning experience. So I like writing historical fiction. I also like, like using the, uh, the point of history that I'm writing about as, as backdrops to my story. Uh, it just adds a lot of color to it. Uh, I like researching uh, what, what happened during that day. If I find interesting characters, I can inter- disperse with my characters. That's always also fun. And I also learn a lot about history, too, by writing historical fiction. So that's a little bit, give you an idea of how I got, got into the whole thing. So in your earlier years, you had a passion for writing, uh, you just had a creative flow, you were trying to figure out how you wanted to use it. Um, like as you were going through school, were your favorite subjects English and literature and, and things like that? Or or what is that, is that where the actual- It was the, more the creative. Fire, is that where the fire was, was lit, I guess? It was more of an emphasis on being creative than, than anything else. And I tried other creative outlets. You know, I, I painted for a while and I tried that, but you know, what's, what's good about writing uh, especially now, in just terms of the, the the practical aspects of writing, you can write pretty much anywhere. Once you have a laptop and you have internet connection for doing research, you know you're free to do it anywhere. You know you could do it sitting in an airport on a plane, you know, in the backyard of your house, uh, wherever it is at a coffee shop. Uh, it's easy to write. Whereas other creative outlets like painting, it requires a lot of work. 
forget the painting part about it. it you know, it's, it's all the stuff you need, all the paint, all the brushes, and then all the cleanup afterwards. I'm like, this is way too much work. I could never imagine being a writer 20 years ago and having to work on a typewriter, uh, number one, and then having to go to the library to do all the research. You know, I think all that work, all that effort would have been uh, too much. I would never have gotten as far as I've gotten over the past three years by being a writer. Uh, the tools of the trade today make it much more efficient than it used to be. So your very first project was A Cobbler's Tale. And uh, like I said, it was released in 2019. How, how long did it take you to actually put that project together? Well, it actually came out in 2018. Um, oh, I'm it was sorry. published in October 2018. Yeah, 2018, it, I'm sorry. Yeah. I started the summer before. The summer of 2017 is when I first started to write. So it took a year and a couple of months, right? like, you know, um, a year and two, three months to uh, go from first word to having the book published. You know, so, you know, the writing process takes you a, a good portion of that. Then you got to go through the editing process which takes another couple of months and then has to be proofread uh, and then you got to get the book cover designed and then has to be formatted <laughs> uh, and then it gets uploaded to Amazon and such like that so yeah it's, it's, it's not only the creative process it's also the, the publishing process and then after the publishing process is done your books up then you got to be a bookseller on top of that so you have to wear many hats these days as an indie book uh, publisher to uh, get your books out to people um, so yeah it requires a lot of effort and a lot of learning um, so it's not just writing the book it's knowing how to publish the book and knowing how to sell the book um, so yeah it's, it's uh, a lot of things uh, to do and the more books you have um, the more you sell so, you know you walk into a store that has one item or you walk into a store that has many items a store with many items you know, gives the customer things to look at. They're more apt to buy. Um, so today I have right now four published books. Uh, the first two of my books are not only available on ebook and paperback, they're also available on audiobook on audible.com. Uh, the Bomb Squad, which is my newest book, and The Righteous One are right now being recorded and will be up on Audible in a couple of weeks as well. So I'll have four books. Uh, available as ebooks, paperback, and audible. And then my newest book, which will be out sometime very soon now, um, as your audience is listening to this um, recording, uh, will be Hope City, and that will be published uh, imminently. Uh, it could be at the time this recording is, is broadcast, it could be actually already published. Uh, I see in some of your, I think it was off your website, you have a June 15th target date for that newest project. Yeah, I have a June, you know, but the way, way things are in the world these days you know things get delayed uh for all sorts of reasons um but so far you know when i published the bomb squad i've been doing it over the past couple of you know getting the, the publishing parts done and uploaded uh, everyone in the book industry on the indian part of the bit of the business is actually still working of course bookstores are closed um so really the only place to buy books these days are, is online so it's you know, if, and that's where I'm, where I mostly sell my books is online. So that that's actually been a, a help um, that these bookstores are closed. Not that I want anything bad to happen to indie bookstores. You know, it's certainly a uh, something we want to keep uh, out there and keep uh, keep li alive. And because you know, I think people love going to bookstores, love browsing through books, and we don't want that to disappear. So. Um... 
in in your past as, as you reached today, the point of the day. So you were a history buff. Is that is that why you gravitate to the history aspect of, the, of writing? I, I like history. I don't think I, I would call myself a history buff. I would say I just I, I find my creative process works best when I write about two genres basically: historical fiction, and I like metaphysical fiction too as right. well, which puts you into the realm of you know the esoteric, um, the dream world type things, the journey of the consciousness, those types of topics, um, which I like tying into the historical fiction. So I like I like the the foundation of what the historical fiction offers, but I like also exploring the outer world things, the things that we don't can't normally see at the same time. So, you know, that's that's what appeals to me. We were talking about the uh, the actual process, the, the publication of the book and the distribution. The, of course, the writing process sounded like to me is the easiest part of that process. Do you, when you start a new project or when you are contemplating starting a new project, is the story already played out in your head? It's just a matter of getting it down. Um, no, no. That's the, it, the, what's in my head is the idea of the story. I have a, I have an idea of what the story's going to be. I, I pretty much kn- I know the main characters and I know where they need to end up. So, but how they get there, I have no idea. Right. So it's a. Or I call. I write my. I write organically. That's what I call it. I don't write with an outline. So there are many, many writers who have a, a very detailed outline. So we'll start with a, an outline that could be 20 pages, 100 pages long that spells out the whole book for them. And all I have to do is just basically get down and just start writing a story and just follow the bouncing ball. Um, I don't like that style. I like um, the organic style, as I call it, which allows me to be totally creative and in the moment as I'm writing. If I find that if I'm surprised... Uh, when something occurs, my reader will be surprised uh, as well. So that's my style. I also write in short chapters. Most of my chapters are three or four pages long. So, you know, a chapter is like a scene in my mind. So um, that keeps the story moving. And of all the comments I get from people um, or of, of, of what they tell me when they, when they I have conversations with people who read my book, they all have one thing in common, is that they all love short chapters. Who, who thought that would, would be a thing? Um, but everyone says, oh, I love the short chapters. Uh, it helps me get through. It helps me read. Because, you know, a lot of people will finally get to a book. You know, you're laying in bed. You read. You know, you might read one or two chapters. You start falling asleep. And people don't like to finish in the middle of a chapter because they forget what they read. Um, so they like the idea of these short, uh, quick bursts. Uh, that I call it of my of my three or four page chapters. Yeah, you were talking about being a writer. Uh, you would have dreaded being a writer back twenty years ago. Uh, the the term page turner. So you're you're big into the page turner concept. You like to be able to. So for for example, give give me an example of. Um, let's take uh, Moonflower for example. Like how many chapters does Moonflower have? All my books have uh, uh, go between eighty and ninety uh, chapters. But you're, um, so you're saying they're average of three or four pages. So you're looking at a 320 or 325 page book. Exactly. Yeah. All my books are 80,000 words, about 320 pages. Which is, um, yeah, that's about the length of my book. Yeah. So you have a, either you have a page turner or you have a boring book. That's right, my, right. one or the other. I mean, 
Don't you want to be able to fight it, turning the page, and, and, can't, and can't wait to find out what's going to happen next? Um, why would you want to read something that's not a page turner? Right. Um, um, you know, I, just, I, I, I don't want term, to ever bore the reader. Well, I use the term 325 pages. I, I, I've got to realize everything's mostly digital at this point. So it's the physical book. I, I was uh, happy to hear that you did have uh, it in paperback. Uh, that's that's a lost art too, an actual uh, physical book to actually pick up and read. What? what yeah, would... I have all my books in paperback. It's it, it it is much more satisfying for a lot of people to have that book in their hands. Um, people love having books on their bookshelves. This, a lot of people uh, look at their bookshelves, and, and it's sort of a representative of who they are. Then you go to people's homes and you look at their bookshelves and see what they've read. It's just a, you know it's a a way of trying to get understand their personality, what their interests in life are. Maybe you have a book that they've read in common and something to talk about. So yeah, having the physical there is also, I think, very important. Right. Um, I do sell more eBooks than I do paperbacks, uh, but that's just the nature of the business these days. But uh, either way, you know, I'm happy to to uh, provide at any medium that you may need. That's the question I was going to ask you. you. You were talking about 20 years ago being a writer. 20 years from now, when you're still writing, hopefully, um, do you think you're going to see the actual elimination of, of the physical book? Do you, do you think everything's eventually going to go digital format? I don't think so. I think you know people like the, having a book. I think it's always going to be there. Um, I just you know, and you know what's interesting is that in terms of the industry, the ebook was very popular for, for a while. And, and then over the past couple of years, it sort of leveled out. Um, and the paperback was making a resurgence. When this whole corona thing came, of course, bookstores had to shut down. And there's been a new resurgence in sales and ebooks right. because it's, you know, everything is digital and it's easy just to download. And people don't want to have a book shipped to their house and have someone else who have touched it. So um, during this time, and who knows how long this will last in terms of our changing in human behavior the ebook is becoming more popular right um before we get into the bomb squad give give my listeners because like i said some of my listeners probably this is the first time they've ever heard of of you and your writing styles uh give us just just a quick summation of a cobbler's tale moon flower and the righteous one kind of get us to where we're at with the bomb squad now where yeah just just sure. a quick snapshot of um, what each book entails. well the cobbler's tale is an adventure story about um my great-grandfather pinkus potajnik um a second generation jewish cobbler who was born in a, a small shtetl which is a jewish village in the province of galicia which was part of the former austrian hungarian empire which is now considered poland um so it's, it's in 1910 it's at, at the historic height of the massive Eastern European immigration wave to, new, to the New World. And Pincus decides he wants to leave behind his pregnant wife and three small children, one of which is my grandfather, in order to seek a new life for his family in the burgeoning Lower East Side of Manhattan, which is where all the Jews went uh, when they were coming to, well, not all, but a good majority of the Jews ended up there, at least for a while. Uh, when they immigrated here uh, back in the early 1900s. So it's a traumatic voyage for him across the Atlantic Ocean. They found the SS America, which is a, a steamship. Uh, and on, on board that steamship, he meets Jacob Adler, who was a young man who was running away from an accidental murder of a notorious crime boss in Warsaw. So the story explores the challenges of his pregnant wife, Clara, 
uh, who does her best to protect her family while the bloodiest battles of World War I explore within miles of her family home. Because um, uh, war does break out while Pincus is here in America. Uh, and Moshe, which is their youngest son of Pincus and Clara, he discovers how that he has this divine ability to foretell dire events and to offer real comfort to those in pain, uh, which takes the reader into the wisdom and mystery surrounding the ancient Jewish mysticism known as Kabbalah. So it's a, it's a Kabbalist tale. It's a story about a Jewish uh, family survival against tremendous odds uh, taking place during, right before World War I and, and during uh, World War I. Uh, as that battle is being played out. So that's a little synopsis of A Cobbler's Tale. And that was your very first release? That was my first book, yes. You set the bar pretty high for yourself after that one because that was a very intriguing. Just the description alone was pretty intriguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got a lot of great reviews. I still get good reviews. I got some wonderful reviews just the other day. I mean, people telling me that I should make it should be made into a movie and how much they love the book and um, yeah so I, well, I get lots and lots of nice as you were describing it. it that's what I had running through my mind I, that sounds like a made for TV movie yeah uh, what about you moon? can make it let's do it <laughs> what about Moonflower well Moonflower is different um, it's it's in the year 1675 and my protagonist is 18 year old Lucas Peterson He's a young boy from the Dutch-controlled territory of New Amsterdam. And as the story begins, he's about to consume the ceremonial substance known as moonflower. Uh, it's a potent seed from a nighttime blooming plant that's prepared and administered by a shaman. And this will cause Lucas to lose his memory and thus will begin his quest of becoming a, war, a warrior for the Pequot uh, Native American Indian tribe. So that's how the book begins. And it travels from the New World to the city of Amsterdam, down to the slave coast of West Africa, across the Atlantic to the slave mart of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and it follows Lucas as he meets chiefs and shamans and warriors and the English army uh, on his journey to forge a connection with the Great Spirit, uh, while he battles a fearsome uh, evil called the, the Wendigo, which is this evil spirit that he has to battle. Um, so that's the story of Moonflower. And then, because A Cobbler's Tale was such an entrancing story, you then returned to it with the follow-up, The Righteous One. Right. So The Righteous One is the second book I call The Cobbler's Journey into the Dream World and Beyond. Um, so it's the story of Moshe, the cobbler. He's a gentle 60-year-old Sadiq, which is a righteous and saintly Jew who's called upon to rekindle his divine connection to the Almighty in order to destroy the notorious New York gangster and Rasha Solomon Blast, a man who's, who uses his power to foresee events via his dreams to advance his own financial interests. So while Solomon and his son Myron seek to control Manhattan, its, its, biggest, business, its biggest businesses, its police department, its city government, they find themselves embroiled in a conflict with uh, numerous powerful people from both the waking life and the dream world. Uh, where Moshe has begun training with the descendants of an ancient mystical spirit for his inevitable confrontation with Solomon. And then as the final battle approaches, the divide between good and evil becomes clearer. Each character faces the consequences of his past, present, and future actions. Um, and the, the question is, who's going to win? Will it be Solomon uh, with his wily tenacity uh, and evil ways, or will Moshe be strong enough to destroy uh, this wicked soul. 
So this is a metaphysical fiction novel. It's not historical fiction. So I I, I go into the idea of you know the the idea of the idea of the uh, the journey of the consciousness um, and what happens to us when our body passes. Does the consciousness live on? Does the consciousness have have no ending to its life? Uh, and what happens to it? So that's that's the metaphysical novel, uh, the righteous one. Okay, so that's book two. Uh, Cobbler's Tale was one. Righteous one was book two. Now, if we're going to make this a made-for-TV movie, or, or if it goes to the big screen, you have to do like everybody else. There has to be a third one. So, the, will there be a third book in this series? I haven't planned a third book. I have two sequels. I have planned for uh, for the Bomb Squad, and I have a sequel for Hope City, which is about to be published. So, those two I have are lined up for sequels. So I haven't thought of a of a third follow a third book following the Cobbler's Tale, but perhaps something will inspire me. Well, if we're we'll going if we're going to take it to the big screen, I'm going to need that third movie to finish the story. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's uh, oh, just a walk around in your head right now with some of the stuff we've talked about so far, and now we haven't even made it to the Bomb Squad yet. Um, and of course, this it is also based. Uh, I believe in one of the reviews or something on your website said ripped from the headlines. So ripped from the headlines, right? Because tell us, tell June, us about the bomb squad. The headline. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right, tell us about the bomb squad. Yeah. Well, it's ripped from the headlines. On June 30th, 1916, um, there was a devastating explosion at a place called Black Tom Island. It was an armaments depot, which was situated just a few thousand feet away from the Statue of Liberty in, in New York Harbor. And, it, and, and there was an explosion, and it, it blew the place apart, and it rocked New York City awake. And not only New York City, I mean New Jersey, New York City, uh, windows blew out. It was a devastating explosion. That's how the book begins. Um, and the bomb squad is a story of two German immigrants during the outbreak of World War One each one willing to put his own life on the line in order to achieve a glorious victory for the cause. On one side, we have Dr. Harold Schwartz, who's the administrator of Ellis Island Immigrant Hospital and a German spy, still loyal to the fatherland, who along with his father, who's a dealer in lethal weapons and a lifelong friend of Kaiser Wilhelm, both of them, both father and son, are hell-bent on distracting the Americans from entering the war. And meanwhile, we have the British Secret Intelligence Service, known as the SIS, who, uh, who are recruiting the, uh, who's recruiting the highly regarded New York City police detective Max Rothman in order to assemble a team of German-speaking specialists to be known as the Bomb Squad. So the mission of the Bomb Squad is for Detective Rothman and, of the, and for his team of hand-picked men, each with a certain expertise to investigate the sudden surge of German espionage activity that's wrecking havoc along the eastern seaboard, which includes finding the source of smuggled explosives being tucked on board steamships crossing the, crossing the Atlantic. And the bomb squad follows the exploits of Dr. Schwartz and Detective Rossman through an interconnecting tale of love and loss, um, friendship and betrayal that stretches from the American shores to the epicenter of German power, its capital, Berlin. Uh, so I called the bomb squad a riveting page turning tale of the clash of the patriots, each one believing in their own cause during a time when the world is at war. Um, so that's a synopsis of the uh, the bomb squad. 
It sounds amazing, actually. That, that's another, uh, sounds like uh, a movie in the making. Um, you said you had sequels lined up for uh, The Bomb Squad and, and the new one, Hope City, we'll talk about before we get off here. Um, what, what character development? Do you, do you see yourself starting, uh, as you continue your writing career, to take a character and, and, and he, he or she be spread over several of your novels? You know, I hate to use the term James Bond, but do, do you see a James Bond in the making where it ends up being a huge series? Of, of well, um, perhaps my latest two, The Bomb Squad, uh, Max Rothman could be that, that type of James Bond figure where I use him over and over again. Uh, as a detective, you know, the, the detective stories give you that, uh, that freedom of, of using the character over and over again because, you know, there's always something new coming up. So I have, I have an idea of the setting for the book two of the Bomb Squad, uh, Clash of the Patriots. Um, I'm not going to say what that is today yeah, because don't, it could don't change give that up. by the time I sit yeah. down and write it. Yeah. Um, and, so, and for Hope City, too, I have, my, I have Hope City, which is the Alaskan Adventures of Percy Hope. So, you know, these Alaskan adventures could go on for several novels. So, yeah, Percy Hope and uh, Max Rothman could be two characters that I use uh, for several novels. I am uh, I'm blown away with some of the, just the descriptions long. Like I said, I, I personally have not had an opportunity to read any of your work to this point. I've, I've checked out uh, what seems like a thousand reviews of your work, your previous work. Um, like I said um, earlier, you have more than 50 uh, just listed uh, reviews of four or five stars. Uh, I love the idea of the short chapters. Uh, for a, a guy like me, like I'm 50 years old, and for a guy like me, I'm, I'm going through that uh, ADHD I had years ago as a, as a, as a youth. Uh, I, my attention span, I guess because I've become so desensitized with all this digital um, you know, bombardment that, that we're going through, uh, my attention span has gotten to be pretty short, so I love the idea of a, of a chapter that's you know three or four or five pages long. I can hang in and read chapter upon chapter at that rate. Uh, what, um, like I said, I know you're writing now, but do you think possibly, I mean, do you see yourself branching out from writing and, and getting into actual media production with some of your work? I mean, do you see yourself... Working, I would be happy to you know, transition to explore that. Yeah, for sure. I'd be. A, it's something that someone would have to sort of discover me, right. uh, discover my writing, and, and and want to pursue that. Um, the only, you know, because I'm doing audio books now, which is a different way of, of of putting my work out there. Because what's interesting about audio books is that I have I audition narrators for my for my stories. Right. So I got to find the right voice for each of my each of my books. So right now I have uh, the Bomb Squad and Hope City being recorded by two different men, um, each with different styles, uh, each with a different voice, um, because the stories are different. Um, but you know, when you get six different auditions in and you start listening to people and trying to imagine them uh, telling the story that you wrote, uh, in a way that's, you know, you're creating a new, a new type of media for people to, to consume your story. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's that's probably my first venture into looking into other media. Well, I'm I'm from the state of Mississippi, and, and we we brag about folks that we have that come from our state, especially that make it you know as different type of influencers in the world. You know, everybody can't be Morgan Freeman. We understand that. So uh, 
So yeah, here's, well, there's only uh, one Morgan Freeman, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, a, another. A, the reason I asked that question a few seconds ago about would you be willing to branch out? Um, you know, I, I, like I said, when I was growing up, uh, from a writer standpoint, Stephen King was a guy that kind of dominated uh, his genre, and then of course they transitioned a large number of his books into movies. And right. um, you know, I, I read quite a bit of his stuff. So then I would watch the movie, and then I would be genuinely disappointed because. The book, you know, I understand from a content standpoint, you can't put everything in a book in a movie. It it lasts forever. But I was genuinely disappointed that the content loss that went on. And I've heard writers say, you know, after a project went from book to to uh, you know media format, you know, movies and and stuff like that, um, how they even though they were hands on with the process. They, they felt disappointed, you know, because of the content loss. That's something you would be worried about because, like I said, some of your stuff, uh, just from your descriptions alone of some of your previous work, I mean, you'd be looking at miniseries, not not just uh, not just a TV movie or even a, a on-screen, you know, um, Hollywood-style movie. Would you be concerned by doing that? I mean, because I know as a writer, I, I, I feel like that would bother you if you turned your project over to somebody and they didn't do it justice let's I, that's a good way to explain it they wouldn't do it justice but that yeah that, that well, would be yeah, a huge you, concern it, of yours there's nothing yeah the story like the stories that i've written are, are, are truly created from from within so you know for someone to take take it and, and to, to twist it um about would certainly be disconcerting um, to, but today, though, you know, yeah, on Netflix and on Amazon Prime and, you know, all these uh, other types of services, you know, you have, you know, you can have 10, 12 uh, episodes to a story and over multiple seasons. So it allows you to tell the story in more depth to develop the characters uh, much deeper than a, a two hour film would could do. Um, but on the other hand, if someone said they wanted to make a movie. You know, I'd probably be jumping out of my seat saying, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we talked about the Bomb Squad. Now, like I said, when this episode airs, uh, your book, if you stay on target, will be pretty close to release, if not already released. Depends on how the time frame works. So right. give us just a, just a, a snippet, just a tidbit of what Hope City is going to be like. All right. <clears throat> I will. Hope City. Uh the Alaskan Adventures of Percy Hope. So Hope City is the adventures of Samuel Rothman and his best friend, Liam Campton, two teenage boys from San Francisco who, in the summer of 1898, venture into the gold fields of the Alaskan wilderness. So warned by his father to conceal his Jewish heritage from the ruffians he may encounter, Samuel changed his name to the less conspicuous Percy Hope. Unbeknownst at that time, this fateful decision would pro provide an identity to the unnamed, to the yet unnamed mining village and catapult Percy into a world where the good and righteous face challenges by the greedy and ruthless adversaries. Along the waterway known as Turnigan Arm live two cities, the newly named Hope and the more established Sunrise. Like two differing sisters, Hope was the good and virtuous one with his Catholic church, led by the influential Reverend O'Hara, admonishing the plight of the seven deadly sins, while the villainous saloon owner, Magnus Dega, and his tempering offerings of whiskey, winnings, and women, controlled the bad sister, Sunrise. 
Through their toils and hardships facing, facing Percy, Hope City weaves the tale of a young man falling down the proverbial rabbit hole and struggling to find his way back out while ambitious and jealous men and women seek their fortunes in an unforgiving wilderness. That is Hope City. Wow, can't wait to I can't wait to check that out also. That's um I Neil, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Before you get off though, you've made some you've made some new fans here today on this episode. hundred percent sure of that. How can my listeners find your material or, or reach out to you and get in touch with you? Because it looks like well, they, I have a website. They can go to neilperrygordon.com. Uh, and everything is on my website and links to where you can buy the books. So it's okay. very easy. Neil, N-E-I-L, Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, neilperrygordon.com. And as a uh, bonus for your listeners, I would like to offer them a free download of The Bomb Squad um, where they can get the PDF by just sending me their email to neilperrygordon at gmail.com. Uh, and all I ask in exchange is to read the book. And if you like it, leave a review for me on Amazon. Because I'm always looking for reviews. Uh, reviews actually help sell books. It's very important to get a lot of reviews. So not only am I a, a book writer, I'm also a bookseller. <laughs> so I have to promote myself. In the and independent you have to do that. Say they're going to have to read my book. I said, please, if you like it, leave me a review. And don't be stingy with the stars. And also, uh, I've noticed you also are on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So, guys, y'all can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Check him out on his website. Uh, Neil, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I am uh, super excited about checking out your work. Like I said, until we talked uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had no idea who Neil Perry uh, Gordon was. And you had no idea who William Wally was. Yeah, now we have now we're friends. So now, we now we now we know each other. Uh, like I said, you uh, you were gracious enough to come on my show, and I do appreciate that. So, uh, listeners, guys, you heard the deal. He is going to actually give you a copy of his book. All you got to do is follow some simple directions. Send him an email address and give right. him a glowing review. Okay, glowing <laughs> review. Don't he said? Don't waste the stars. All right, Neil, I do appreciate you being here today, and uh, I'd I'd love to have you back later, especially later on down the road, because by the time I get a chance to talk to you again, you'll probably have two or three more books out for uh, publication. God willing. All right, man. You have a great day. Thank you, sir. And as always, guys, Wally, out. Just a quick word from us here at World of Wally. Um, we are always looking for support from our listeners to help continue our purpose, continue our drive, continue our mission. Uh, here at World of Wally, we strive to provide top-notch, compelling content that appeals to all ages and backgrounds. We do approach the podcast as a vehicle to deliver this information in a way that everyone, even the common man or common woman, feels that content speaks directly to them. We can only continue to provide thought-provoking and engaging conversations and guests with your help and your support. World of Wally is nothing without you, the listener, and your support. Thank you from all of us here at World of Wally. If you want to become part of our journey here as this project continues, uh, find out more at our Patreon link uh, at www.patreon.com front slash World of Wally. Uh, you also will be able to find it in the episode notes of each episode throughout season two. Like I said, guys, we couldn't do it without you. We don't want to do it without you. So anything you can do to help, we appreciate it. And as always, guys, Wally out.